I'm your host, William Tapley. Also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here. Just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, September 24th, 2012. What a fantastic weekend that was. Cool weather. Got to see the Dodgers lose in Cincinnati. Yeah, that was just. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We stop, pause, open up our Bibles, sometimes just sit there and shake our heads and do the face palm thing and and you know, try to have a little fun along the way. But all of this stuff, even when we cover something that is, the the topic is covered humorously, the the point is to basically point you out to the foolishness of people, it really, and the audacity of people who are speaking out of turn regarding God. And uh, the Bible uh, doesn't have positive things to say about false prophets. In fact, I may get to some of that today from the book of Jeremiah. Um, there's two prophets in particular that are mentioned in the book of Jer- Jeremiah whom God singles out. They are false prophets. They are prophesying falsely. God did not send them, and yet they're speaking on behalf of God. And um, let's just say that uh, when God speaks and, and decides to weigh in on the matter, Things are not going to go so well for the false prophets. But we are in the middle of an election season in the United States. And not in the middle of actually, thank the Lord, we're getting close to the end of this thing. Good night. I, looking at my calendar going, okay, what about five, six more weeks and we're done. No more of this. It, and then you got to figure out, will we have a new president or will we have Obama? You know, who knows what's going to happen. But uh, the the sad thing is, is that almost like clockwork, you know, it's like, 
you know, I have a cuckoo clock downstairs. It was a gift from my mother. She actually, she um, grew up in Germany when she was a kid. And uh, when she traveled to Germany a few years back, she brought back just a gorgeous, beautiful cuckoo clock. And the wonderful thing about it is, is that, you know, every half hour, you know, it, it, it does the doot doot at one time. And then, you know, it chimes off. Uh, the hours uh, and it's like it's just a beautiful piece of woodwork, but um, you know, but like you know, but like clockwork, you know, my cuckoo clock goes off, you know, at regular intervals, and unfortunately, um, the, the, one of the regular intervals that crazy people go off about regarding God speaking out of turn, you know, and claiming to speak prophetically and stuff like that, is the election cycle. So we have the uh, we have certain cuckoo clocks that are. Uh, <clears throat> going off at the moment and it just yeah it's the kind of thing that it, it, even somebody who's well meaning as a christian can get caught up in a lot of this stuff because you know they have feelings one way or another per- pertaining to politics and what gets lost in the shuffle in all of this is that people end up obsessing about politics, political seasons, whether or not uh, a certain uh, political person is the Antichrist. You know, I I remember very strongly, very <laughs> firm memory in my mind, uh, when I was a young lad, uh, it, you know, I was, uh, I was not a teenager, I was in my 20s, and I remember I was working at uh, Pacific Northwest Bank in uh, Seattle, Washington, and uh, this is when I was newly married and worked downtown, and right, in fact, right across the street from uh, the, the, what used to be the uh, Washington Mutual building, but I think Washington Mutual as a bank failed. But uh, 1201 Third Avenue is uh, is uh, the, where it was across the street. I was at 1111 Third Avenue in uh, downtown Seattle working at a bank that, uh, that, again, it's no longer there. I mean, that bank has been bought out by another bank or whatever. But, uh, you know, I was uh, a teller there, downtown Seattle. And uh, used to, in fact, used to love spending my lunches uh, across the street at 1201 3rd Avenue, which was still a fairly new building at the time. I mean, they had a wonderful, um, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> coffee cart and things like that. Anyway, so, um, but, uh, you know, you know what I would spend my lunches doing? Reading, because <clears throat> I'm a nerd. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> but I remember very clearly, very clearly that, uh, you know, it was one of the election cycles. And we had a regular customer at our bank who was uh, one of these Christians who was into the prophetic and stuff like that. And I remember this uh, uh, this <clears throat> customer just looking me straight in the eye and letting me know that Nancy Reagan was the Antichrist. And it's... <laughs> and I really, how do you know this? I just know. I mean, it's a prophetic word of some kind, apparently, had to come down from on high, that Nancy Reagan was the Antichrist. And you know, I just <laughs> remember going... Okay, that's crazy. That's weird. But the thing is, is that, you know, since then I've heard crazier things, similar things. And there's, there's entire groups of people out there going around t- saying that Obama's the Antichrist. And uh, to which I would basically say, listen, if Obama's the Antichrist, he is the lamest Antichrist ever. And, um, you know, it's, I was expecting something far more spectacular. Uh, biblically, I was led to believe that the man of lawlessness was going to be into all kinds of more spectacular types of things than Obama. I'm thinking, so if Obama's the Antichrist, wow, I'm underwhelmed. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah. Anyway, so again, like I said, it's it's we're in a it's, we're drawing close to the uh, the end of the election cycle. 
the, we're going to decide who's going to be our next president here shortly, and that means the cuckoo clocks are going off. And so what we're going to do first hour is we're going to uh, listen to the latest claims of, um, <clears throat> regarding Obama from uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. In fact, this message was so urgent that uh, William Tapley decided to forego his standard greeting on his videos in order to get this important message out regarding the campaign flag of uh, Obama. And uh, then we're going to switch gears and uh, do a, a new apostolic reformation update. Cindy Jacobs of the NAR uh, recently appeared on Jim Baker's uh, television program and was giving us the latest prophetic tea leaf insights and stuff like that. And Oh, man. And you think, Jim Baker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The father of Jay Baker. Jay Baker of the Emergent Church, who's gay affirming and all that kind of stuff. Jim Baker of the uh, PTL, Praise the Lord, Scandal. Uh, you know, formerly Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. She's now passed on. And, and um, well, he's on television now. And he's back. And, um, and so he recently had Cindy Jacobs and her husband on their on his TV program. Oh man, what a mess this is. So we'll be listening to um Cindy Jacobs wax eloquent. Who knows where this is going to go? And then I will uh, allow for some biblical counterweight uh <laughs> to all of this from uh Albert Muller and a recent uh article he wrote entitled Christian Values Cannot Save Anyone. And that's right. You heard that right. Christian values cannot save anyone. Um, that's right. In fact, Christian values, um, if you're not a Christian, all they can do is condemn you. That's kind of the point. But So we got that we're going to do today. Um, and then hour number two, we're going to be going back down to Florida to uh, Church by the Glades. They're in the middle of a <clears throat> sermon series entitled Hero Worship. And we're going to be uh, reviewing the first sermon in the series entitled Tapping into Your Superpower. No joke. <laughs> this is I just you know I <laughs> I sometimes wonder it's like you know is is there anything anymore that can just shock me and, and the thing is is that Christianity is literally slipping into utter oblivion and nonsense and here's the deal these mega churches in the name of evangelism aren't teaching the biblical gospel sound doctrine or anything like that and claiming that they're somehow growing Christianity because they're able to attract a large crowd and Christianity isn't growing it's actually shrinking because these guys aren't preaching and teaching Christ. It's kind of that simple. Anyway, so that's what's going to make up today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend making yourself comfortable. Um, I probably should be playing our warning today just because it's that kind of program. So here's our standard warning uh, please keep in mind that if anything terrible happens to you while listening to this episode of Fighting for the Faith, that we did play the warning. So, you know, here we go. Warning. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. 
drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinonasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. All right, let's get into it. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world to its own needs. Dummy, serve your own needs. Beat it up and not speak. Grunt, no strength. The ladder starts to clatter with fear. Fight down. High fire and a fire representative. Seven games in a government for hire. In a combat site. Left to us to come in a hurry with the furies. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Yeah, that's our uh, William Tapley update uh, music. Yeah, William Tapley is, um, well, been prolific lately um, with the uh, election Close at hand, and apparently World War Three, you know, already started. It started a few years ago when some incident occurred in North Korea. Um, you know, he's, you know, on the prophetic edge here, divining the latest um, eschatological tea leaves. And uh, that comes now in the form of the latest Obama campaign flag um, or icon. I don't know. But it's so important that uh, William Tapley put this short little video out. And no kidding, he's uh, he's really become very good at the whole green screen thing. And, and for this green screen, he's got um, footage of wild turkeys behind him. Not sure <laughs> sure exactly what they symbolize. Well, since we're dealing with a political topic, maybe it's about politicians. But here's William Tapley to explain to you the dangers of the Obama campaign flag. Uh, here we go. I'm going to skip my normal introduction and ending to this video. Because this is just a brief commentary on a new flag created for the Obama campaign. Now up here on the left we have the official logo of the Obama campaign, and that's a big O, which of course stands for him. And below that there are several stripes which indicate the homosexual movement, in other words the rainbow flag. And below Obama's logo we have two stripes and three stripes which look much more like streaks of blood. Now, some people don't like this kind of perversion of the American flag because it is very satanic. Now, first of all, the big O looks like the Illuminati all-seeing eye, which is very similar to the all-seeing eye on your dollar bill. Really? Hang on. I'm looking at it. Um, You know, it does not look like the all-seeing eye to me. Maybe I just don't have an eye for artwork like... William Tapley looks like an O with, you know, a thing swooshing through it. It doesn't look like an I to me. Of course, as my regular subscribers know, the two stripes over three represent the Antichrist. Uh, what? (laughs) 
Two stripes over three represents the Antichrist. Yeah, you know, it's weird. Um, in all of my theological studies, um, both privately and, uh, you know, in, in school, um, never did I have a class that taught me the importance of the symbology of two over three. I missed all of this prophetic eschatological insight in my theological degree, and I, I don't know how it is that I missed any of this stuff. But anyway, we can do So apparently, two stripes over three stripes, that is the symbol for the Antichrist. <sighs> because two over three is the number point six six six. Now, I doubt very much if the designers of this flag really knew what they were doing. I don't think they wanted a satanic flag with satanic imagery. But maybe they consider that perfect for the Obama campaign. So there you have it. Uh, just a short minute, 20 seconds, just to let you know that when you see the Obama campaign flag flying out there for the Obama campaign, that um, the, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times, has weighed in to let us know that prophetically we should understand this to be the... Um, the flag and symbol of the Antichrist. <laughs> Again, I just, I, how did I miss any of this stuff when I was taking, when I was, you know, in, you know studying theology? I, I don't know how I missed all of this. But there you go. I mean, so apparently, who knew? Uh, Obama, he's the Antichrist, and his flag says it. If you just learn how to see the hidden symbols um and the numerical values associated with it. you too could um yeah well weird you know what's really strange about william tapley's channel is that um for somebody who claims to kind of be in the mainstream of christianish type thought and now he, he's a roman catholic um we hear a lot from william tapley about mary the rosary um, Obama, the leopard, um, uh, you know, all kinds of weird biblical numerology, the importance of um, symbols at the Denver airport and stuff like that. But you know who never really seems to make an appearance on uh, William Tapley's channel? Uh, that would be Jesus Christ, yeah, calling sinners to repentance and to be forgiven for their sins by his shed blood on the cross. See, that's the thing is, is that it, it's almost as if you can either major on Christ and the biblical gospel or you're going to end up majoring on some minor point, uh, such as divining who the Antichrist is. Play the latest edition of Pin the Tail on the Antichrist. And, well, William Tapley has weighed in. He's, put his, he's pinned the tail on Obama, and proof positive is that we got a flag out there for the Obama campaign with two stripes over three. See, that proves it. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> now you think that's crazy. Uh, wait till this next segment. Here, here we go. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain is Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each life is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. The pinky and the brain. Yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, 
He'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky, and the brain, 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 brain. Yeah, that's our update music. For whatever we do, a new apostolic uh, reformation update. The NAR, if you're not familiar with their 12 Mountains initiative and supposedly this idea that we, they've got to take over the world. Uh, and they've got, they've got full-blown living apostles and stuff like that. And one of the major spokeswomen for the NAR is none other than Cindy Jacobs. And Cindy Jacobs on September 14th appeared on Jim Baker's television program. He's back. Um, huzzah. Wow, that's great. And um, and I'm just going to put the playhead at the beginning when Cindy Jacobs starts talking, and we're just going to chime in as we go. Um, the tinfoil pyramid hats might help deflect some of the gamma radiation that will be coming through your computer or iPhone or iPod, however you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. So, yeah, I'm just thinking that, uh, about your safety. This is kind of important stuff for you to consider before <clears throat> you listen to Cindy Jacobs. With that, here we go. But anyhow, there's people who see what's coming. And you've, you've studied this a little bit, haven't you? Oh, yes. In fact... Um we, we- that was Jim Baker. She's she's the people who've studied what's coming. Really, really, okay. We've been doing some shows on economics, and it kind of began when I began to prophesy about a year before the 2008 um, re- collapse, economic collapse. The Lord said to me, "There will be no more business as usual." I believe that. In other words, worldwide. R- really. Um. God told you that there'll be no more business as usual. Really? Uh, Considering the fact that seriously, your theology is so far, like so far different than biblical Christianity. We're supposed to believe that God's really talking to you prophetically. Okay. He was going to begin to shake. You know, like it says, everything can be shaken. But, you know, God, when he starts to warn, it's kind of like a progressive warning. People don't understand that about the prophetic. They think, you know, and uh, people criticize me sometimes this because I prophesied it doesn't happen immediately. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. uh Uh-huh. But biblically, it takes a while to unpack these things because God is a merciful God. Right. So, so when God prophesies, when you prophesy in the name of the Lord, God tells you things, and it doesn't immediately come to pass. Uh, see, that's no proof that you're a false prophetess. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we think of these things that he, that David Wilkes has prophesied almost forty years ago. Now, and next year, when he first gave these words, will be. I think it will be that forty-year period. Next year will be the fortieth year. We're entering into a forty, the fortieth year cycle. Hmm. Really? Yeah. I seem to remember that um, Cindy Jacobs is a little bit <clears throat> known for some of her kooky. Ideas regarding numbers. May I remind you of a um, story from early in 2008 um, from CNN? <clears throat> this uh, this the name of this news story is entitled "I-35: The Highway of Holiness." Yeah, listen in. 
Interstate 35, which runs through six states from Texas to Minnesota, has existed for about a half century. But did God know about I-35 many, many centuries before that? This Texas minister says she had a revelation about it. We were reading Isaiah 35. Yeah, that's that's Cindy Jacobs. It's a passage in the Bible, and we live in Dallas, and we have this highway that's behind us called I-35. Part of Isaiah 35, verse 8, declares, A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. <laughs> I... <laughs> I bet you there's a bunch of unclean <laughs> Texas dri- Texans driving over uh, Highway 35 right now, you know. So Isaiah 35 has become a biblical partner of Interstate 35 for some Christians. Jesus, moving power, God. Millions live up and down this highway. Oh, my goodness. This is terrible. <laughs> I told you it was going to be weird today. Hey, Lamb of God, touch Oklahoma, Lord Jesus. Touch Texas, Lamb of God. Oh, Lord, touch Minnesota, sweet Jesus. With the highway of holiness, I-35. I to fulfill the prophecy of I-35 being a holy highway, many of the faithful think it will take intensive prayer first. <laughs> it's going to take a lot more than that. Just trust me. Of our generation, Jesus, moving their hearts, God. Churches in all six states have organized prayer vigils on the side of the interstate. Yeah, this is as a result of Cindy Jacobs. She's because you know she reads Isaiah 35 and she looks at I 35 in her backyard and goes, There's a connection. They pray for safer neighborhoods, more godliness, and want the quote unclean to take note. The businesses are the kind you often see driving up and down America's interstate. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, they're, they're, the video footage you can't see this actually shows a a billboard for a strip joint called the Baby Dolls. That's apparently the uh, advertisement appears on I thirty five. You know, the Highway of Holiness, right there in Texas. Some of them have been visited by the prayer for participants in so-called purity sieges. It would absolutely please me, yes, if some of these businesses would go out of business. <laughs> No thank you, says the owner of Dallas's Diamond Cabaret. For them to want to impose their, their views on others, it, it makes me angry. We help the community out a lot. In some cases, more than other church groups. Fundraisers, food drives. Open their eyes to see God. Show the Father God. Not everyone here literally thinks I-35 is the highway of holiness. But it is pointed out that tragedies ranging from the assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas to the recent bridge collapse in Minneapolis have happened on or near Interstate 35. No way. Wow. It's, they're like harbingers, you know. Call Rabbi Khan. You know? And we just want to say, wow, why would this happen on one highway? Let's pray that there be safety for everybody on these highways. On YouTube, you can see Pat Robertson publicizing the campaign on his Christian Broadcasting Network. <laughs> what an amazing story. Yeah, just amazing in like the worst possible way. Yeah. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, for the cut a line right down the middle of America and let it spread to both coasts. I used- <laughs> yeah, 35-8 is not the only part of the Bible that mentions a highway. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, it is said... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Yeah, that's quoted in Gospel of Mark chapter 1, too, yeah. But and uh, I, it was uh, 
John the Baptist, uh, being the precursor to Christ, who was the fulfillment of that. There have been no national prayer vigils on Interstate 40. No way. Yet. <laughs> okay, so I brought that up. Yeah, we went back in time without our time machine today just to um, remind you that while um, Cindy Jacobs kind of has a um, history here of coming up with fantastically bizarre explanations as it relates to biblical numerology and things like that, somewhere kind of akin to the crazy things said by William Tapley. The difference is is that Cindy Jacobs has a far bigger audience than William Tapley does, but she's probably about as cracked of a pot as he is, and and unfortunately, I don't think she plays the Casio. But we continue with her appearance on Jim Baker's program because this is oh so instructive. And God always moves in numbers and times. I mean, just think about Hurricane Isaac that came seven years, made landfall seven years after Katrina and hit. Yeah, but did it happen seven years to the day using the Jewish calendar? See that? So that would really mean something. I mean, I just. New Orleans again. Try You know, exact. So this was, we don't know how to read the signs of the times. We need to be. Be like Issachar who knew. So, yeah, Miss Highway of Holiness. So uh, I gave this prophecy. Well, so did David Wilkerson wrote this, and the Lord began to speak to us. Actually, one of our board members, Jerry Tuma, wrote from Boom to Bust and Beyond, and he's an economist, and he talked about what is coming. And then as our prophets met, uh, 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 we have a council called the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders. We've met since 1999, and I, I chair the group, essentially. Mm-hmm. You chair the group of apostolic elders and <clears throat> think NAR. And, uh, you know, this is Bishop Bill Hammond and Dutch Sheets and James Gall. <laughs> Dutch Sheets and James James Gall of the Patricia King gang. Oh, good gravy. And, and you know, a, a large group of very respected prophets. Rick writing from his... Yeah, James Gall, a respected prophet. Oh man, it's real. You know, we have European prophets, and so and so. Oh well, that proves. I'm mean, see. I, I had no idea you had European prophets. Well, that just takes it to a whole nother level. You know? We took a look at some of this that was prophesied. The Lord said, "Go back and look at what was prophesied," and then we got in the spirit and we began to prophesy. Really. And- you th- and this is so amazing. You know, you just go over the points. Uh, Mike, wasn't there a point about the labor unions? What yeah. did he say about that? Well, it was interesting because if you look at what's happening in Wisconsin and other states, where there's all the this US pressure right on now. public unions. David Wilkerson said that unions would be in a situation where they could not afford not to strike, but yet they could not afford to strike. And that's exactly what we see now. They can't, they can't strike because if they go on strike... They lose their jobs and they lose their livelihood, and and yet. By the way, this is based on David Wilkerson. Welcome, Will. Having a tough time pronouncing David Wilkerson's so-called prophetic book called "The Vision." The pressures that are out there economically, because of really because of the greed through the years that you know most of the public sector unions they make thirty or forty percent more than an average person. Another the same job in another area, so. This has built up through the years, and we're now, it's reached what we would call a critical mass, and they're in a situation where it's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and even I was reading on the airplane, I was reading the magazine called The Economist, and some of the things it was talking about in this prophecy about Japan and so forth, they are coming to pass now. I mean, this month's Economist. How's the prophecy of Highway 35 coming? talks about these things, about banking industry setbacks, what's going to happen. I mean, look at some of these other points, Jim. The auto industry hit hard. Well, the auto industry was hit hard. That's right. Very, that already has happened. The government, it says, is going to overreact to the confused economic developments. And, you know, so wow. did that happen? Yeah. Yes, we look back and we see there was. In fact, not only, you know, David Wilkerson, you know, but there was a, a Frank Hammond wrote a book, uh, America's Coming Judgment, I think it was something like that, a vision of three eagles that were going to hit the United States, and one would be an economic judgment. For- what about William Tapley? He's the third eagle of the Wow. Or the sin of abortion, that we had killed so many babies. And God gave him that in like 1986 or 87. So all of these words, you know, you think because God delays them, we're talking about, you know, the things that even now the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, uh, they're, they're about to happen. And this one, number, we have, a, we have a list we're looking at, but number 16 on our list, the United States to be blamed, although economic actions in Europe will trigger, in Europe will trigger, Trigger the coming recession. The U.S. will be blamed by most nations for what happens. France will become one of the most vicious anti-American nations in the world. And it talks about politicians in Europe and Japan will blame Washington and American bankers. Well, when we met with the prophets at the beginning of last this year, actually, 2012, as I'm giving this, we began to prophesy about a European shaking that was going to come, that was going to shake the euro. One of our prophets said, and we only got it from one, so I didn't issue it, but we said the euro would collapse. Now, when we prophesied that, it was in November, actually, of 2011, that seemed a little far-fetched. But now with what has happened in Greece, Spain is almost 50% unemployment now. You know, Ireland is in a terrible, terrible state of distress. You know, what is happening is even what God showed prophets, showed showed um, David Wilkerson, also showed many of our prophetic counsel. Beth Alvis, you know, is an author, in 84 had a series of visions where cities in the U.S. were burning and there was rioting. So, you know, I said, well, could that happen? Well, I tell you, let the welfare system collapse and people can't get their checks. What is going to happen? You don't think some cities, inner cities of America could burn? Well, Cindy, just look at Europe already. Europe is going to be the precursor for us. If you want to see like a... A preview of what might happen in the United States. Keep your eye on Europe because people are over there. They're already starting to riot and there's there's, uh, civil unrest. Well, that will come to the United States as Europe begins to fail. Then it will have a domino effect. Jerry Tuma characterized it, Jim, like a three-legged stool. He said you've got Europe, you've got as a leg, you've got the United States as a leg of the stool, and then the other nations, developing nations, as the third leg. Well, you know, any time you lose a leg of a stool, a three-legged stool, it, you, bad things happen. You can't, can't be used for what it was. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want a two-legged stool. Those are tough to sit on. It was designed. So it's almost a certainty now. Even secular people are, quote-unquote, prophesying Europe is going down. 
Yeah. And if you're well, if secular people are prophesying that, then what makes you think that God, the Holy Spirit's revealed any of this stuff to you? Maybe you're just tuned into good reports as far as what's going on in the world, and it's not hard to see that we're sitting on a precipice. Goes down, it will impact the United States adversely. It's going to interestingly impact China adversely. Yeah. Because China's greatest export market is Europe. Yeah. So we're already starting to see some ramifications happening in China. Mm-hmm. And then if the United States goes into massive decline, that will also further impact China and some of the other nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does this have to do with proclaiming Christ? Nothing. People of Europe are so used to socialism and being cared for. And this is Jim Baker. And, and having everything paid for that they won't tolerate cutbacks. Mm-hmm. And so they riot in the Because everybody knows that Jim Baker is just an expert on foreign policy. And things. Treats. You see rioting mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so they're demanding mm-hmm. it, just like in the United States. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's nothing the like the cities that, But the cities are saying, well, we have to cut back. We're going bankrupt. And people are saying, no, we're not going to tolerate that. But... How, what part of no money do we not get? Yeah, you see, we, well, we that's the thing money. is we don't get it. <clears throat> Let me pause right there and just fast forward to just a little bit more from Cindy Jacobs. And you kind of get the gist of where this is all heading here. This is just a little farther ahead in <clears throat> this appearance of hers on Jim Baker's program. Listen in. I prophesied uh, before, you know, before that, before 2011, I prophesied that God had seen decisions made from our White House that were anti-biblical, and that we were going to. Yeah, that. <laughs> who? Quite the prophecy. Come into a season of the greatest weather patterns and disasters we had seen. There was going to be floods and fires and more. It all happened. 2011, I believe, historically, was the worst year for weather-related disasters in our history. Oh, and I was mocked everywhere for that because they don't understand spiritual things. You understand spiritual things, Jim. So we've got to be prepared. Listen, we're going to have more weather disasters. It's going to come up worse and worse. It's not going to stop. We are still not pleasing God. We're still not pleasing God. Yeah, and you see, I here's the issue. All of this biblical eschatological tea leaf pin the tail on the Antichrist and see if you can predict predict what the next wave of whatever's is gonna be. All of this is off topic. She she's right in this sense that Americans are in open rebellion to God. But this begins with the church. The church not proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins, but being off topic. And if there's going to be repentance in any nation, one of the members of the EU or in the United States or anything like that, you know what it's going to take? Men and women who be willing to proclaim the truth. Men who will boldly stand up in the pulpit, not women though, men who will boldly stand up in the pulpit and proclaim law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. But see, Cindy Jacobs is a false prophet. I mean, she is a crackpot. And yet we're so 
far astride of biblical his- Christianity now that people believe that this woman is a is a real Christian prophetess of God, and she's not. How do you? How do I know? Look at her theology. She doesn't proclaim historic orthodoxy. She proclaims just general looniness. She's about as solid as Patricia King. And uh, anyway, so you, you kind of get the idea of what's going on. The cuckoo clocks are going off. Um, the regular intervals is how this happens during every one of the uh, election cycles. And what's happening is, is that Christianity is getting a black eye like it does every time the cycle comes around by basically putting forward people like her as somehow prophetic uh, people who represent the, what, what the Spirit is revealing today. And she doesn't. All right. We are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christians. Click on the subscribe button. Or you follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. We will be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? Tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. 
Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package, Steve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus... Uh, uh, well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop, and, uh, well, we're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio... Very well, I'll give them a try. I want to invite you to register for the free Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally coming to the following cities the fall of 2012. These are one night and they're free, but you must register online at worldviewweekend.com. We're going to start out October 7th in Destin, Florida. Then we're on to Wichita, Kansas, Des Moines, Iowa, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rogers, Arkansas, Peoria, Illinois, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Rockford, Illinois. They're free, they're one night, and it's the Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. That's worldviewweekend.com. Please post this on your Facebook, put it out to your email address book. Help us get out the word about these free fall 2012 Biblical Worldview Weekend Rallies. Speakers will include myself, Brandon House, along with Justin Peters, Mike Gendron, Jimmy D. Young, and a few others. Don't miss out on the fall Worldview Weekend rallies coming to these cities. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Bum, 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 bum. 
We're back. Uh, warning. Um, focusing in on politics, trying to figure out divine prophetic tea leaves and all that kind of stuff. Distraction. Preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins till Christ comes back. It's that simple. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Just a warning here. I went really long on that first segment. I'm going to be reading one thing from Al Mohler and going to the second break. I know it makes it so we got two breaks that seem close together. I apologize for waxing eloquent there, but yeah, I just wanted you to hear it. But uh, here we go from the albertmohler.com website. The headline reads, Christian values cannot save anyone. Sounds so un-American, doesn't it? All right, Albert Muller, by the way, this was from September 11th of this year. He writes, a recent letter to columnist Carolyn Hacks of the Washington Post seems straightforward enough, quote, I am a stay-at-home mother of four who has tried to raise my family under the same strong Christian values that I grew up with, the woman writes. Therefore, I was shocked when my oldest daughter, Emily, suddenly announced that she had given up believing in God and decided to come out as an atheist. The idea of a 16-year-old atheist in the house would be enough to alarm any Christian parent, and rightly so. The thought that a secular advice columnist for the Washington Post might be the source of help, seems very odd, but desperation can surely lead a parent to seek help almost anywhere. You usually get what you expect from an advice columnist like this, therapeutic counsel based in secular a secular worldview and a deep commu- commitment to personal autonomy. Carolyn Hacks responds to this mother with the admonition to respect the integrity of her daughter's declaration of non-belief. She adds, quote, Parents can and should teach their beliefs and values, but when a would-be disciple stops believing, it's not a decision or choice to reject church or family or tradition or virtue or whatever else has hitched a cultural ride with faith. That is patent nonsense, of course. Declarations of adolescent unbelief often are exactly what Hacks argues they are not, rejections of church or family or tradition or virtue. Hacks does offer some legitimate insight, suggesting that honesty is to be preferred to dishonesty, and such adolescent statements are often indications of a phase of intellectual questioning or just trying on a personality for style. Hacks then tells this distraught mother that she, quote, didn't throw out What my child, including my church, taught me, I still apply what I believe in. I just apply it in a secular life. In other words, Hacks asserts that she maintains many of the values she learned as a child in church and simply applies these values now to a secular life. Quote, 
How can I help my daughter see that she's making a serious mistake with her life if she chooses to reject her God and her faith? The mother asks. Hacks tells the mother to accept the daughter's atheism and get over her, quote, disappointment that she isn't turning out just as you had envisioned. What else would you expect a secular columnist who operates from a secular worldview to say? The real problem doesn't lie with Carolyn Hacks' answer, however, but with the mother's question. The problem appears at the onset when the mother states that she has, quote, tried to raise my family under the strong Christian values that I grew up with. Christian values are the problem. Hell will be filled with people who were avidly committed to Christian values. Christian values cannot save anyone and never will. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a Christian value, and a comfortability with Christian values can blind sinners to their need for the gospel. This one sentence may not accurately communicate this mother's understanding, but it appears to be perfectly consistent with the larger context of her question and the source of the advice she sought. Parents who raise their children with nothing more than Christian values should not be surprised when their children abandon those values. If the child or young person does not have a firm commitment to Christ and to the truth of the Christian faith, values will have no binding authority, and we should not expect that they would. Most of our neighbors have some commitment to Christian values, but what they desperately need is salvation from their sins. This does not come by Christian values, no matter how fervently held. Salvation comes only by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Human beings are natural-born moralists, and moralism is the most potent of all false gospels. The language of values is the language of moralism and cultural Protestantism, what the Germans call culture protestantimus. This is the religion that produces cultural Christians, and cultural Christianity soon dissipates into atheism, agnosticism, and other forms of non-belief. Cultural Christianity is the great denomination of moralism, and far too many church folk fail to recognize that their own religion is only cultural Christianity and not genuine Christian faith. The language of values is all that remains when the substance of belief disappears. Tragically, Many churches seem to perpetuate their existence by values long after they abandon the faith. We should not pray for Christian morality to disappear or for Christian values to evaporate. We should not pray to live in Sodom or in Vanity Fair. But a culture marked even by Christian values is in desperate need of evangelism, and that evangelism requires the knowledge that Christian values and the gospel of Jesus Christ are not the same thing. I pray that this young woman and her mother find common hope and confidence in the salvation that comes only through Christ, not by Christian values. Otherwise, we're facing far more than a young woman making a serious mistake with her life. We're talking about what matters for eternity. Christian values cannot save anyone. And by the way, this is exactly, exactly the message that the Apostle Paul gives us in the book of Romans. And let me, in fact, let me read this to you uh, from Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, 
I'll pick up where the problem is at the tail end of Paul's argument, Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9. So, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Well, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, all of us are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. It's even one raised under Christian values, by the way. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouths is full of mouths are, are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, put in the word Christian values here, whatever Christian values says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, or by Christian values, no human being will be declared righteous or justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God. Whose righteousness, by the way? This is a possessive genitive. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is not the God of the Gentiles also? Well, yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. In other words... Christian values without faith and trust in Christ will only condemn you, and you will not be declared righteous or saved by God. Instead, you are saved by grace through faith as a gift. And if you are truly regenerate and brought to faith in Christ through the gospel and the proclamation of him crucified and risen for your sins and for your justification, then you will see Christian values begin to take flourish and take root and flourish in your life because that's the fruit of repentance and faith. But Christian values without faith in Christ, well, that's like a flower that's been cut off from its roots. Eventually, it will only die. It has no ability to live on in perpetuity because it's been disconnected from the very root system that it needs in order to survive and flourish. You get what I'm saying? All right. We, like I said, I apologize for this. We are up on our second break. 
If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christians. Click on the subscribe button, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Sermon review on the other side of the break regarding superheroes. Yeah, we'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebrough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sorry for the two breaks close together. Sermon review time, though. I'm hearing more and more sermons like this. In fact, you can almost say that this is the major thesis of both Stephen Furtick's book, Greater, and uh, Perry Noble's book, Unleash, which is so painful to read. Let's do this right. And, oh boy, the ugly. This fits under that category. Uh, We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon? I don't even, I mean, I don't even think this is a masleration. I have no clue what this thing is. Comes to us via Church by the Glades, Coral Springs, Florida. David Hughes presiding. The name of the sermon series is Hero Worship. Um, the sermon itself is entitled Tapping Into Your Superpower. I mean, <laughs> what's the point of having a Bible? I mean, serious. This is absolutely abysmal what you're about to hear. In fact, I'm not even going to describe it to you. You just get to experience it yourself. Let me uh, kill the 
music here. And without any further ado, I'm going to have you sit through like the entire experience itself, which begins with, well, kind of a montage of superhero um, video footage from like 70s and 80s superhero TV programs and movies. Yeah, no joke. Here, here we go. A secret experiment gave one man the strength of a hundred and the power to save millions. Then he added something else. He said no one could break into it. Holy stuffy! Exactly, Robin. I realize how an unhappy childhood probably led you to all this, but that's really no excuse. What's up, Iron Man? Wow, cool. Hey, I'm a Comic-Con. A Comic-Con. 120,000 enthusiasts. People love- yeah, that's right. Um, David Hughes of uh, Church by the Glades, probably on his church's dime, too, uh, flew to com- and went to Comic-Con. And so he's reporting from Comic-Con you know, for his tapping into your superpower sermon. Of comic books, sci-fi, uh, heroes especially. They're all about their heroes. They have great passion. It's undeniable. And if you think this whole thing is, you know, insane, over the top, a little crazy, uh, kind of nerdy, it is a little bit, you cannot deny their passion, especially for their heroes. I mean, they sacrifice. They sacrifice. We've met people from all over the country, in fact, over the world, taking vacation time, spending money to be here. Knowledge. They know so much about their heroes. They have read all the comic books, watched and rewatched the movies, you know, the details, the dialogue. And then finally, wow, they want to be like, even look like their heroes. And you see some men, they look just like their heroes. Others, they're trying, not really pulling it off. Others, I don't know what they look like. Nonetheless, you cannot deny the fact that heroes connect. Hey, glad you're here at Church by the Glades. We start a new series they call it Hero Worship. What's up, Church by the Glades? Sunday, PM edition. And if you are new, welcome. I'm David Hughes. I'm one of the pastors. You already met Pastor Fred. Yep. And- okay, on stage is a, <clears throat> a sidekick, Pastor Fred. Now, i got to tell you what uh, David Hughes is wearing. He's wearing an Iron Man T-shirt. Pastor Fred is wearing a Batman t-shirt with the Batman logo on it. And he's supposed to be the pro- provide the comedic sidekick relief for the opening of this so-called sermon. And I think why I said that video is true, heroes connect. I mean, heroes really connect in our culture. So we launched a new five-week series uh, called Hero Worship. Worship. Hero Worship. I hope you'll be here all yeah. five weeks. Hope you bring somebody. And, and by the way, I got to apologize. If you like church really kind of dull and quiet, you probably hated church so far. Uh, our church is high energy. It's a caffeinated worship experience. And our worship team, Justin, everybody, oh my goodness. Man, you made the Foo Fighters look kind of dull. It was incredible. Uh, but sure hey, we're going to have fun all five weeks. In fact, next week, Pastor Fred, next week. Yep. What's the topic next week? Villains. Villains. I like to call villains. Uh, the talk is entitled The Value of a Villain. Who has, a, who has a hater in their life? Who has a hater? Oh, who has a difficult yeah, person? Dude. Who has a not? Come on, seriously. Who has like a, faces, an adversarial man. person in your life? I mean, what do you do? Guess what? Sometimes God blesses you with a bad guy. 
Whoa. Sometimes to develop certain things in your life and character, you need that negative person. And someone talk about the blessing of that. Some of you guys are in costume. You look great. Pastor Raul. So I wonder if uh, during that sermon he'll be talking about the blessing of a blogger, you know. Super, uh, I got two Captain Americas in the front row. I did worship Fight. next to Rambo. Yeah, that's right. Uh, people at Church by the Glades came to church dressed up in their superhero costumes. It was Superman. That's awesome. Great stuff. Hey, people have been asking me my costume. Yeah. I got, you know, I, I, I noticed you're not in one. No, I, I, I got nice one. t-shirt, though. Thank you. Thank you, Iron Man. I got one planned for a coming week, but I thought if I preach week one in spandex... For the record, I was, an av- I was an advocate of that. Oh, please, please. That'd just be disturbing. So I'm not going to do that to you. But It's happened before, by the way. Uh, last night, because the idea was come dress as your hero, I had a costume last night. I had a costume last night. Yep. I didn't think I have a pic. Here's, here's what I wore uh, right before the service last night, because my, my hero is my father. And my, uh, my mom and dad are members of this church. It's an honor for me that I, I speak. They're, they come every Saturday night, and then they come again because they love their boy. They come again to the early service, traditional service on Sunday morning, and then they'll come like three more services if I say nice things about them. Yeah. So, uh, it's true. But my dad's my hero. Let me have that picture again because he 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 he, he wears suspenders. He's been rocking suspenders. Yeah. The only but, thing wrong with that picture is your your pants aren't. Yeah. He wears loose. his pants really loose. When you, when you're in your eighties, you can do whatever you want to. Yeah. Amen. If those That's suspenders go, those pants are going. Let's yeah, they would. They would be bad. It'd be a serious wardrobe and a function for my dad. That's my dad right there, and he's my hero. So thanks for dressing up as your hero. I some of you guys. It's been incredible this weekend, been so fun. But heroes connect. In fact, one reason is I think when we're very young in life, we want to do something heroic. Yep. You know, we, we dream about, you know, when you were a kid, you thought, man, I want to be an NFL star. I, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. or President maybe, of the United States yes, of America. Yes, I want to be a movie star. I want to be a superhero. In fact, you guys know me. I have a big imagination. I, I, I imagined Fred being a hero when I was a little kid. I thought I'd be like a superhero. Yep. In fact, to help you guys envision what I imagine, our creative team here is so talented. Would you please give it up for our creative team, our video people and our camera guys and technicians. And, and so to help you envision what I've envisioned as a child, what I'd be and I grow up, they're going to help us, Pastor Fred. Okay. All right. You know, and a lot of heroes... Okay, they've taken out a piece of green foam with two head holes cut in it. They're getting ready to do some green screen work here using the green foam. Just come with a friend. All right. <laughs> All right. We are so, friends. When I was, like, really little, the first hero I thought... So, I mean, which superhero did you want to be when you were little? So now David Hughes' head is now appearing over the... Uh, I think that like the 1960s Batman and um, Pastor Fred over Robbins. Batman. I love the old school. Whoa! Adam West Batman. Man, Batman was phenomenal. And <laughs> it's Robin. That's right. Robin. Boy Wonder. With my, my backwards award. R. What's that all about? I was looking at myself in the mirror, I guess, when I took this picture. That's, that's good. You look, look, yes, that's nice. Nice Robin. Uh, Robin, the Boy Wonder, uh, the dynamic duo. Any Batman yep. fans out there? Batman fans? Batman? Yeah. Batman! All right, all right. No clue what this has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, now here, here's, again, kind of old school, the Green Hornet. Remember Green Hornet and oh, Kato? Oh, yeah. There was a movie recently, Fred. The movie was just kind of okay. Okay. But the TV show back in the day, Green Hornet and Kato. Here's some trivia. Well, who knows, guess. who knows, on the TV show, who played Kato? Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Martial arts legend Blue Bruce Lee was the original Kato. There's Pastor Fred providing the comedic sidekick relief. 
my next spot's getting really big. I've done this with him five times. It's still funny. It's still funny. And then fast forward to the 70s. 70s. Any Star Wars fans in the house? Star Wars! Oh, yeah. I love Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. Oh, Chewie! I love Yeah, Pastor Fred's face appears over Chewbacca's. <laughs> Chewie, Chewie would like pet people, wouldn't he? Yeah, he, yeah, he would pet people. Yeah, I'd, thank you. Thank you for the, the petting there. Han Solo loved Han. Here is some. No, actually, play. Chewie would get pet. Yeah, sure, they were petting you. You should be petting me right now. You want I'm, to try I'm that? okay with not petting okay, you. I'm all good right. with not petting right. you. That's okay, Fred. Okay. Um, and, oh, guys, and, and, and tandems. No, you're like a, a hero and his friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what about Bruce Banner and the Hulk? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the Hulk. Only, the only thing I didn't like about them is you never saw them fighting crime together. Fred, they're the same person. It's, it's like the oh! alter ego. Yeah, remember, this is the fifth time they've done this, so this is a comedy routine. Probably something they've seen on late night television. You know, Jimmy Kimmel or somebody like that. But I love the Hulk. The Hulk had all kinds of attitude. All kinds Just of attitude, the right? The, 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 the Hulk. He always looks like he's like going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Give the Hulk some X-Lax, yes. Um, man, all these, all these. But yeah, I get my, my all-time favorite, my all-time. I got to go way old school. Who's that? The Man of Steel. Superman. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Superman. No, 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 definitely, no, no, no. definitely. The yeah, and so the joke is, is that Pastor Fred's head is now appearing over a very busty Wonder Woman's cartoon body. Best of all time, the best That's Superman. Right. And <laughs> censored. Stop, stop, stop. Censored. That was censoring. That was <laughs> censoring. <Definitely> censoring. <laughs> Yes. Hey, we'll By the way, I will be putting this in the Museum of Idolatry shortly. Stop right there. You get the idea. You get the idea. Give it up for Pastor Fred and our hyper-creative creative team. Because when things are visual, they're more powerful. You understand it. But I, I, I do think, as kids, a lot of us connected with superheroes. And, uh, you know, Hollywood today has picked up on that. Think about the subject matter of the biggest blockbusters in recent months. Heroes. The Avengers. Just saw the Batman movie with Charlie. That was a good movie, wasn't it? Like 18 hours long. But it was a great, great ending to that movie. Uh, man, awesome. I love you know, Spider-Man this summer. Some of the biggest blockbusters. Busters, and I think they understand there's something in the human heart, especially the American heart, that we connect with the heroic. We admire heroes, and I think deep, deep down, God made us that we crave and desire to do something with our lives that's big. We'd like to do something heroic. We'd like to do something with our lives different and daring, right? So that's why as a kid, you had that dream. I want to be a world changer. I want to impact people. I want to be Superman. I want to be, right? Because I think in the human heart is that desire, different and daring, bold impact player with life. But what happened to that childhood heroic dream? Life happens to it, you know? After a certain amount of living, maybe late in your 20s. Now listen, this is the setup for the problem that he's supposedly going to preach the, the solution to from the Bible. So the problem is, is that when you were young, you wanted to be a world changer. But what happened? Life happened. Boy, how many times have we heard sermons like this? This isn't the biblical gospel. Do you think Jesus came to save you from the mundane, from mundanity? Is that what it's all about? Was, was that why Jesus was on the cross? Just curious. Uh, you have these big dreams, and life kind of takes the edge off those dreams, right? It kind of puts the beat down on those dreams. And after a while, our lives start to look very unspecial. 
and very average and mundane. In fact, our lives kind of look and feel the same, right? No one, as, as, a, as a little kid, had a vision for your life. Like, someday I want to live in a neighborhood where my house looks just like everyone else's house, right? Someday I want to drive a white minivan like everybody else. And, and life kind of, you know, takes the edge off. Hmm. So they'll know we are Christians because we don't drive white minivans and live in a, um, a suburb? Is that it? So Jesus came to set us free from urban sprawl and minivans. Is that really the Christian message? Of that heroic dream, and after a while, a lot of us, our lives are unspecial and mundane and predictable. I mean, think about it. Think about your uh, your today probably looked a lot like yesterday, and you're thinking my tomorrow is going to look a lot like today, and this year uh, looks a lot like last year, and my guess is next year will look like this year, except I'll be a year older. And when you get to a certain age, you never say it out loud, but you start to think to yourself, is this all there is to life? And my question is, is this a biblical teaching? Really? The Bible teaches that you can somehow break free from, you know, the mediocre, middle-class, suburban sprawl experience. I mean, Jesus came to set you free from, well, you know, city planners and, and you know, cleaning your house and... You know, driving a minivan. I mean, I, I mean, of course, you know, for some guys, I mean, driving a minivan would be the equivalent of you know living in hell. I mean, so Jesus came to set you hell, free from the hell of you know mundane day to day existence in middle class America. Yeah, I'm not thinking of any passages that offer promises along these lines, or as this somehow being a real implication of the biblical gospel. And that's where you are. Guess what? God has brought you here. Because why? I I want God over the next five weeks to stir and rekindle in your heart to revisit that childhood dream. That your life could be heroic. That your life could be a life of impact. That you would dare be different. That you'd be daring. That you would. It's time to release the inner hero inside of you. Mm. Where does the Bible teach that we have an inner hero inside of us? Jesus himself says, out of the heart comes all kinds of filthy things, right? That's where sin comes from. It comes from, from within inside of us. You know, thought, theft, murder, adultery, lying, uh, disobeying parents, all of that comes from within us. I don't seem to recall any of the biblical passages that talk about the inner superhero inside of us just waiting to be unleashed and emerge onto the scene so that we can radically change the world or make a difference or anything like that. You know, this, we got a big problem here. Turn to your neighbor and say, turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to get heroic. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time for you to be a hero. Man, a hero. I got ninjas and Rambo in the front. I have heroes in the house. In fact, I think that's God's heart for you. In fact, here is the premise I want to explain. I think that's God's heart for you. Really? Um, really? Why would you think that? What in the Bible teaches that God's heart for somebody is for them to be the heroic? Tonight and over the next five weeks, kind of the main thought for this series, here is the idea. i got my plexi here. Here's my plexi. Ready? Bam. Isn't that cool? Now listen, this, this, is the main, this is the basic main thought for the sermon. Are you ready? Or in fact, the whole series. Let me read it for you. He'll read it here in a second. If you connect with the ultimate hero, that would apparently be Jesus, and you commit to his mission, the hero within you will begin to emerge. Yeah, does, do any of you have any 
biblical passages that just come flooding to mind here. If you connect with the ultimate hero and commit to his mission, the hero within you will begin to emerge. Yeah, I, I got nothing. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is the sexy plexi right there. It can do all kinds of neat things. But here's kind of the, the, the premise for tonight in the five-week series. If you connect with the ultimate hero... Just for clarification, if you're new here, I want to front load the talk like this. Uh, As I talk about heroes, my ultimate hero is not Iron Man or Batman. My ultimate hero is not the Hulk. The ultimate hero for me and the ultimate hero for Church by the Glades is Jesus Christ. And so without apology. Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, Can you prove it by actually preaching exegetically in context what the Bible really says, what Jesus really taught, what Jesus really accomplished? The proof will be in the pudding of your sermon, not in the platitudes and the slogan that you just kicked out right there. We are a radically Christ-centric church. We- yeah, I haven't seen that in any of the sermons I've reviewed for you, David. Radically Christ-centered. Christ, for the most part, is missing from your sermons. Believe in the power of a great Superman costume, by the way. We believe in the power of a relationship with God through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. So the object of our worship and our honor is the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him relationally, you can connect with him tonight. At the end of the talk, there'll be some nice people at the edge of the stage. Jesus will be in the back. You can take pictures with your iPhone, with with him with your iPhone, and maybe you can get an autograph or something like that. I'd love to take 10 minutes in the Bible and show you how you can leave this house today with a relationship with Jesus clearly established. So he is the ultimate hero. So if you relationally connect with the ultimate hero and... Commit to his mission. I believe God has a mission for your life. Mm, okay. That's great. I believe God has a mission for your life. And where are we supposed to find what God, his mission is for us? By the way, the, I, the, the answer I keep going to is God's word. You want to know what a good work is? Um, God wants you to be a good husband, a good father, a good mother, a good wife, uh, for you to be a respectful, obedient child, uh, for you to be a good employee. Um, you know, I mean, passages like slaves obey your masters come to mind. Uh, by the way, slaves, in case you're not familiar with the concept, they didn't even own themselves. Talk about a day-to-day mundane existence. They didn't even get the privilege of living in, um, you know, in the American suburbs. Uh, slaves' quarters were generally not all that great. And Jesus didn't seem to save them from that, um, at least not in this life. So, yeah, we got some big problems here with the whole premise of this sermon. I, I don't know you, perhaps, but I know this about you. God made you. He loves you. And he has a mission or a vision for your life. God has a, a supernatural script. God has a divine... John, God has a supernatural script. No way. Really? You got any Bible passages for this? Dream. And when you start to wrap your energies and your passion around this dream, powerful things happen. In fact, so when you wrap your energies in, around this dream that God supposedly, then big things will happen. Again, you got any Bible verses that say any of this? I believe if you connect with the ultimate hero, Jesus, and commit to his mission, the hero within you will begin to emerge. And you'll find your life will be changed. And your life will become a life of impact. You'll start doing things outside yourself, different and daring, heroic, dare I say. Let me give you an example. I can think of 11 men. They lived a long time ago. But man, their life, legacy, and impact, monumental. 
these 11 men, the 11 disciples. If you really think it's all that monumental, why aren't you opening up the New Testament and reading for us in context the things that some of these men wrote regarding Jesus? Because that's the thing that had the impact was their testimony and proclamation of everything that Jesus said, taught, and did and accomplished for us. It's not that they were so great. It's that their message was amazing. Of Jesus, I would argue, have influenced the disposition and direction of the human family unlike any other 11 individuals. I don't think any politicians, any rulers, any generals have had the impact on the human family the disciples have. Evidence? You. I mean, the disciples had such a huge impact. Here we are 2,000 years after they lived, halfway around a planet they didn't even know was round, and we're here because of their legacy, because they took the gospel of Jesus Christ. These guys Right, and how many superhero sermons did the apostle Peter preach? How many sermons about villains or Wonder Woman did uh, Paul preach? How many sermons about Superman did um, John preach? Have, have I made my point yet? guys were world changers. In fact, when I think about these biblical heroes... And I think about the stories of the fictional heroes we're enjoying in this series. I see some commonality. In fact, if you think about the hero stories, typically in a hero story, you'll see four things. Maybe you want to write these down quickly. Take a note of your four things you see. In almost every hero story in Hollywood or comic book, you'll see a change. You'll see a superpower. You'll see a person with great passion. Your heroes are very engaged. And then finally, every hero has a big cause, a big cause, a cause worth fighting for. Now, let me show you these same four components are very visible in the lives of the disciples. Number one, a change, or I'll use this language, a transformation, a transformation. Say it word with me, a transformation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a transformative gospel. I mean, this God loves you the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. And if you allow Jesus, he will change you wonderfully, radically, spiritually, eternally. I mean, he's into the change business. What is, what is the bottom line of Church by the Glades? Life change. What excites me? What is my crack cocaine? Seeing one more God-transformed life. And God transforms people. Now, in the superhero... Define that. Define the word life change. Actually, it's two words. Or the, the concept of transformation. Because when I look at the details of what you guys in the Secret Driven Movement preach regarding transformation and life change, it doesn't actually square with the biblical teaching regarding sanctification, which would be the fruit of and result of our being born again and regenerated in Christ. It's actually different. The details are much different. For instance, this little thing you're saying here, that um, apparently we have all got some cosmic big, big calling on our lives to go out and be world changers. I just don't see that in the Bible, um, nor do I see that as an implication of the gospel, nor do I see that as a part and parcel of Christian sanctification as taught in Scripture. You get what I'm saying. Stories, typically in the story, you see a moment of transformation. Right? If you think about some of the stories of the famous superheroes, the comic book heroes, they're like normal people, unspecial people, kind of mundane lives, and all of a sudden something happens and they're changed. Right? Right? Peter Parker. Peter Parker. Peter Parker is like a, a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, right? And Peter po Parker becomes who? Oh, it's up there. It's easy. He becomes Spider-Man. And there was a moment of transformation. Remember, he, I think he's bitten by a radioactive spider. 
When that happens, he develops spider powers and spidey senses and all that kind of thing. So then being born again is like being bitten by a radioactive spider. Uh-huh. So for this, this normal guy, transformation becomes Spider-Man. Uh, think with me. Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner uh, has an experiment goes awry with gamma rays, and this understated science has become who? So becoming a Christian is like being irradiated by gamma rays and you having an uncontrollable rage that turns you into a big green destructive monster. Yeah, I just, yeah, that's just like Christian sanctification and life change. The Hulk. Do, do, you, do any of you all feel like he's take, basically taken a super, the superhero story somehow are governing the biblical story at this point? That somehow he's trying to shoehorn something that's Christian-ish into this superhero shell that he's created? Becomes the Incredible Hulk. Uh... Uh, Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers is a scrawny but patriotic guy. We love to fight for his country, but he's kind of a, an anemic guy. But they give him, I don't know what it was, the super soldier sauce. And all of a sudden, he's like the ripped jack Captain America. Why a transformation has taken place. And maybe you're here and you're not a person of faith, but even a casual reading of the text, you will see this remarkable transformation that happens in the life of the disciples. Man, if we had time, we could look at many ways they are transformed by the power of God. Uh, we could look at this during, during the lives of Jesus, during Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, you, what are they like? Well, they love Jesus. They're loyal to Jesus, but they bungle everything, don't they? I mean, if you study their stories in the gospel, the disciples, the, the disciples, they are a textbook case of misunderstanding, misspeaking, and missing the point. They're always wrong. But here's just one area of transformation I want to demonstrate. Courage. Though they love Jesus... In the Gospels, they're fearful fellows. I mean, they, they're, they're, they don't have much courage. Uh, when the pressure's on, they take off. Let me show you. Now, you go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Take your Bible, take your smartphone, find Acts chapter 4. It's on my phone there, Charlie. Acts chapter 4. Say it with me. Acts chapter 4. Now, wait a minute. You are Sunday night. You are pound for pound, the most responsive service we have here, right? Pound for pound. You bring it. So, uh, what is that text? One more time. Acts chapter... All right, Acts chapter 4. I'm going to show you something amazing in Acts chapter 4. But while you're finding Acts chapter 4, I want to back up to Matthew 26. Now, Matthew 26, uh, Jesus is still alive, and, but he's just got arrested. The disciples have followed him. They love him. They're loyal to him. They believe him to be the Messiah. They followed him for three long years, and they're, they're his boys. They care about him. But when he is arrested, they're not courageous they're not bold. They are fearful. Let me show you one verse, Matthew 26, verse 56. You hit the one word. Ready? Then all. All, all the disciples deserted. All, not one of them. Not one of 12 hung in there with Jesus. Anybody? No, they all bailed. They all ran away. They're all full of fear. They're very timid guys in the Gospels. But let's fast forward here. So Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. He is crucified and murdered. My Lord is dead three days. But after three days, my king beats death. And then the Bible will show him demonstrating himself to be very much alive over the course of 40 days, seen by over 500 eyewitnesses, 11 different resurrection appearances recorded in the Bible. But John says many others not recorded. Jesus shows himself to be alive. Now you are in Acts chapter Acts chapter 4, I'll back up to Acts chapter 1. It's the last time he appears before he ascends to the Father. And he says to the disciples, here's what you guys do till I return. Go give out church by the glades business cards. That's what he basically says. He didn't say exactly like that, but he says, get, get, share the word. He said, bear witness. 
Start right here in Jerusalem and then go to Judea, then Samaria, then just keep on going as long as there are people and places that need to hear it. Go tell people, invite people, be my witnesses, but don't go yet. Wait for Acts chapter 2. Now you're in Acts chapter what? Four. Acts chapter 1, he commissions them, you go be my witnesses. Acts chapter 2, wait for Acts chapter 2. Why? Because in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. He said, I will send my spirit. My spirit comes, he will bless you with power. Say the word power. Power. Superheroes have power. And he will, he will bless you with power. And it happens, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples and infuses them with something they never had before. Courage. And they leave that meeting, they go out, and there's a big gathering called Pentecost, and, and they start preaching and sharing and proclaiming. And it's so anointed and so powerful and so courageous that 3,000 people come to King Jesus, and 3,000 people are baptized. See, baptism, why we're going to have a baptism on the 23rd, baptism is an outward reflection of an inner God transformation. Uh, that's not what Acts chapter 2 says. Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. There's not a single passage in the Bible that says what he just said about baptism. Not one. All right. So, so they're going to be baptized and they be, in Acts chapter 2. So 3,000 people because the disciples are now real bold and they're preaching. All right. So it's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3 follows Acts chapter 2. Are you surprised to know that? Anyways, Acts chapter 3. They're going to church because that's a good thing to do. So the disciples are going to the temple. On the way to the temple, there's a guy who's impaired. Uh, the Bible says he's crippled. And they look at him. They see he has faith. And they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And in that name, the man is healed. And it's a demonstration of miraculous power. And this guy, he's excited, man. He gets to go to the temple for the first time. The Bible says he's not a Baptist. He's not, he's not Presbyterian. He's not mellow. He's Pentecostal. I mean, he jumps and shouts and comes into church. And he's all excited about the whole thing. And, and people gather around. So that's the crippled guy. What happened? The disciples boldly preach. They preach the word of God. More people get saved. That's Acts chapter 3. Why don't you preach what they preach then? I mean, if you're talking about boldness and courage, don't you think the more courageous thing for you to do would be to put away the superhero costumes, open up the scripture, and actually preach the message they preached? Don't you think? Now, Acts chapter 3 is followed by Acts chapter 4. All right, here's what happens in Acts chapter 4. Look in your, in your Bible. They get arrested. They get arrested, and they're standing before the same high court that murdered Jesus. These are the same dudes that have the authority to crucify Jesus, and they did it not years before or decades before, but just a few weeks before. I mean, the blood of Jesus is so fresh on their hands, and so, I mean, this is a very dangerous situation. And th these authorities are going to say, why in the world are you preaching about Jesus? What happened to this guy? Now, listen, at that point, let's be very honest and real here, because the disciples, they're real people. Real people with anxiety, fears, concerns, just like you and me. Now, if I'm one of those disciples and I'm in front of the same guys that bumped off my boss weeks ago, I'm going to tell them the truth, but I'm going to be as diplomatic as possible, right? Right? I'm going to tell them the truth, but carefully choose my words. I don't want to unduly offend someone, right? I, I want to see, because I, I could be crucified or beaten or in prison. So in Acts chapter 4, Peter is the spokesman. Look at verse 10. Because they're saying, how did this happen? What's going on here? Look, look at how diplomatic Peter is here. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, ready, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Translation, here's what he says, congratulations, dummies. You've been looking for Messiah for all these generations. You've been studying the scripture all these many years, and God sends his Savior. He sends his son. He sends the Messiah 
and you murdered him. Seriously? I mean, it was bold. These guys could take their lives. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. Then why don't you show the same boldness that they had and preach what they left us to preach? You're preaching about them. You're not actually preaching about Christ. They preached about Christ. Well, just to say with clarity, and guess what? All your things you trust in for salvation, keeping the rules, your man-made religion, layers of legalism you heap upon the shoulders of the people. Those things will not get you to heaven. You want to get to heaven? Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Guess what? When the court heard this, they were not too happy. Before court is done, they say, don't you ever preach his name again. You preach his name again, we'll arrest you again, we'll throw you in prison, we will beat you, and we will crucify you. Don't preach his name again. And they respond respectfully, say, well, you have authority, but is it right to honor the authority of people or the authority of God? We're going with God. And they go out and they pray. By the way, in the villain talk, if you have a villain in your life, a bunch of haters in your life, good strategy, pray. Amen? Right? So here these guys have threatened their lives. So they go and have a church-wide prayer meeting in the prayer. Now, if I'm in that prayer meeting, verse 29, verse 29, uh, am I in that prayer meeting? No, I'm praying for God. Protection. God, you heard what they said. Keep us safe. God, do we go out of town now? Is that the right time to go out of town and start with the rest? Right? Because they threatened to kill us. But in uh, verse 29, the disciples do not pray for protection. They pray for boldness. And then look at verse 31. I'll put on the screen. Verse 31. I think it's the final verse, the final verse in the chapter, verse 31. Um, Fred's going to let me know. All right. It's not. I'm lying. Yeah, notice he's not actually teaching the text. He's summarized it, his own narrative, so that he can control the point. The point is all about courage. And, you know, he's, he's picking verses along the way to weave them into his narrative, his retelling of the story, so that he can create the impression this is a biblical teaching. But if he was really courage, if he really had courage, if he was really bold, he'd preach law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins to the people in the audience right now. See if he does it. I haven't seen the end of the sermon. So let's see if he if we can muster up some superhero strength here and actually preach the message the apostles preached. All right. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. When's the last time you prayed and God answered with an earthquake? The place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. How? And you can be a non-believer and a cynic, but if you look at the transformation from cowardly, timid, and fearful to these men you could not stop. You could not stop. You cannot. Chapter 5 follows chapter 4. They're preaching the gospel again. You know why, right? It's because they were eyewitnesses to the bodily resurrection of Jesus. They knew he was stone cold dead before he was taken off that cross. John saw them thrust the spear into Jesus' side in the blood and water that had already separated in his heart sack. You know, the, you know it, it, he saw it just come gushing out of Jesus' side. They knew Jesus was stone cold, corpse, mortuary, dead. And on the third day, tomb was empty and Jesus appeared to them. They are eyewitnesses to the resurrection. That's part of the reason why the boldness is coming here because they know now that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. None other than the God of the Jews of the Old Testament in human flesh. See what he does with this. And they get arrested again. Same high court again. This time the court wants to kill him. One guy says, let's not kill him yet. Let's just beat the thunder out of him. 
They beat the disciples so bad with a cat of nine tails, you would not recognize. They look like hamburger meat front and back. They leave that beating rejoicing. They suffered for Jesus' name, and they continue to preach. Are you kidding me? There has been a transformation. See, that is the nature of the gospel. This is the most important point of the talk. When God changes you, the change is profound. When God changes you when you come to Christ, it's not just trying harder. It's not just rolling up your sleeves, rolling up your resolve. When he changes you, the change is essential. It is fundamental. He changes you in every way a person can be changed. Eternally, spiritually, radically, wonderfully. You are a new creature with a new nature. Now, this part is true. This is, uh, yep, yeah, that's right. So, um, thank you. Three people are excited about that idea. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a get- yeah, this is, by the way, the doctrine called regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration. He's describing it, but not really teaching it. Right. Thank you. I'm going to get everybody on board right now. Let me take you to another passage. This verse, this verse will rock your world. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, want to know what happens to Christians, this is it. If you're a Christian person and you're struggling with old habits... Old temptation, old dysfunction. Check out what God says about you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Say the text with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now, everybody, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I mean, if you have a relationship with Christ, if you are a saved person, see, the nanosecond that you give yourself to Christ by faith, all these cool things become yours. The moment you give your heart to Christ, if you're not a Christian person, you walk the front and give your heart to Christ tonight. The Where in the Bible does it say we need to give our hearts to Christ? It doesn't. The moment you do that, heaven becomes yours. You're qualified for heaven. This is the Pelagian heresy. Uh, the moment you do that, God forgives you of all the done, stupid, selfish things you've ever done. Freedom becomes yours. You're adopted into God's uh, royal family. It's his son or his daughter. But something else that happens in that spiritual moment, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in you. And when he comes to reside in you, he changes everything. How profound. Look at the language. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a a new new what? New creation. Doesn't say he tries harder, has more resolve. Right? You are literally a new creature. You spiritually mutate. You morph the moment you come to Christ. When you come to Christ, the change is so essential. It's so fundamental. You change from the inside out. A whole new creation. He is a new creation. Old things, old habits, old behaviors, old old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, see, a lot of Christians, the enemy, he's, he's going to blind you to this idea. The change is so profound. You're giving into old habits and old desires. I want to keep that verse up there. You see, if I am a new creation in Christ, if you are a new creation in Christ, stay with me right now. Very important. If you're a new creation, new creations have new natures. Say the word nature. All right. A new creation has a new nature. And if I am a new creation with a new nature, I have new strength. I have new unlimited potential. I have new behaviors. I have- whoa, 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 whoa. I- have new habits. You with me? New creatures with new natures behave differently. Men have new strength, new unlimited potential. You, uh, you look unlimited. You, apparently, because you're a new creation, you're a new creature. You have unlimited potential. Let's see if that new potential is uh, mentioned anywhere in this passage. If you have your Bible, let's open up to Second Corinthians chapter five, verse sixteen. Because I want to uh, read some of the passage that he's left out, because I think it's important. He talks about being Christ-centered and Christocentric and radically Jesus-focused and all that kind of stuff. Yet he left out some pretty important stuff from this passage. Okay, He's taking verses out of context and stringing them together here. 
verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, and God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, who for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here, um, David Hughes obviously is trying to engage in some form of evangelism, basically trying to sell people on the idea that they need to make a decision to give their heart to Jesus. And see, if you do this, what's what's one of the upsides? You're going to be a new, cre- a new creature with unlimited potential. See, what he's trying to get you to do is raise your hand at the end of the sermon and make a decision to give your heart to Jesus. By the way, that's not how the Bible says that people become Christians. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say you need to give your heart to Jesus. This is evangelism with a Pelagian assumption. Now, if you don't know what the Pelagian heresy is or was, okay, I, I would strongly recommend that you go back through the archives of Fighting for the Faith and listen to the lecture that uh, Phil Johnson delivered on the Pelagian heresy. We did a, you know, a several week series where we played uh, Phil Johnson teaching and preaching on uh, basically a survey of ancient heresies. The Pelagian heresy denied the biblical teaching that we are all born dead, trespasses, and sins. Dead, 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 dooby dooby dooby, dead. Okay? That we are not saved by deciding to give our heart to Jesus. We are saved by God granting us life from the dead, raising us from the dead spiritually, and that happens through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. Now, you'll notice here, he's trying to get people to make a decision. And the passage he's doing, see, see, look, if you're you're a new creation, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and you have unlimited potential. But he's not preaching the rest of the passage that talks about the fact that we need to be reconciled to God and that God made Christ sin, our sin, so that we can become the righteousness of God. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's not proclaiming Christ. Here he's trying to basically look at some of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one of the basic aspects of the doctrine of regeneration, that you go from being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ. You have a new nature that has new appetites. And he's trying to basically say, look, if you're a new creation, you have unlimited potential. Don't you want unlimited potential? See, now all you got to do is give your life to Jesus. This isn't evangelism because he's not preaching the gospel. He's not confronting them with their sins and basically saying, listen, you don't understand. God is going, Christ is going to return soon in glory to judge the living and the dead. And you have transgressed God's law. You were born dead in trespasses and sins and hating God. You don't love him and your actions bear that out. Your thoughts bear that out. Everything you do and don't do bears out the fact that you are a born rebel hating God and you want him dead. But the good news is this 
is that because of Christ, who lived a perfect life in your place, and who took your sin upon himself on the cross, the punishment that you deserve, Christ took upon himself, and he is offering you a full and complete pardon. Repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins. He's not preaching that. Here he's basically trying to get people to say, oh, you want unlimited potential? You want life change? You want to be like a superhero, don't you? Confused. Maybe you don't understand the power of nature. New nature will always show itself. Nature is so incredibly significant. I, I give you an example. You'll see, sadly, on the news every once in a while, a story like this. The news person will come on and say, today at the zoo or today at the circus, a grizzly bear went crazy and mauled his trainer. Details at 10, right? You'll see stories like that, right? At the circus today, a grizzly bear went crazy and attacked his trainer. Are you with me? Uh, a grizzly bear went nuts and, and ate the arm off. Right, right, you hear stories like, look, I, I don't think that's a grizzly bear going crazy. I think that's a grizzly bear going grizzly bear. I mean, the nature of a grizzly bear is to be a wild animal. It should be an apex dominant predator. I mean, God designed the grizzly. He designed it to be dangerous. So I think when a grizzly bear, you know, attacks somebody, their predator, when they attack someone, that is not a grizzly bear going crazy. That's a grizzly bear going grizzly bear. It's a grizzly bear being true to its God designed nature. On the other hand, I think a grizzly bear going crazy, I think it's a grizzly bear riding a bicycle with a clown's hat. I think that's crazy. That's contrary to his nature. Right. Someone... Yeah, in case you missed it, that was last year at Circus by the Glades. <laughs> yeah, that's they, they did an entire circus church thing for their fall kickoff last year. Yeah, so if you miss the, uh, the, the, the bear on the tricycle with the weird hat juggling balls, that was, last, that was at this time last year at CB Glades. Cracks a whip and a lion jumps through a hoop of flames. Guess what? That's crazy. Lions are afraid of fire. But if the lion decides to eat the guy with the whip, that's a lion not going crazy. It's a lion going lion. All right? They're designed to be dangerous. God has given you a new nature. Act like it. Man, next time. Because the devil, man, the devil does not want you to get this principle. The devil wants you to just be in that old lifestyle, that old dysfunction, those old habits, old temptations. You have no power. Say to him, guess what? I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. And a new creation has a new nature, has new behavior, has new potential. Don't mess with me. I have a new, I am now designed by God to be dangerous. Someone help me preach. That's pretty good right there. God's a God of transformation. Ours is a transformational gospel, right? Kenny, that's what it is. Say transformation loudly. One, two, three. Transformation. I'll pick up the pace here. Three other qualities I see. Superheroes have superpowers, right? A little boy, Zane, he's, he's three. So that line between fact and fiction, that's fuzzy for him. And the other day he was so, because we're, we're talking about heroes in church, and he came up to his mommy, he's so sad, he goes, Mommy, I don't have a pooper power. <laughs> Actually, he has quite the pooper power. He didn't have a superpower. Uh, but guess what? It wouldn't be fun to have a superpower. It wouldn't be cool to have a superpower. In fact, take, take, take 20 seconds, turn to your neighbor right now, and tell him, if you could have any superpower, what you'd want. Ready? One, two, three, go. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? And then have them tell you, what would it be? What power would you want? 20 seconds, 10 seconds. What would it be? Oh, my God. Up in the cheap seats. Find some. Move. Got to find somebody. Interactive moment in church. All right. Question, question. Uh, who said, who said, I'd like to fly. I'd like to fly. That's cool. I'd rather teleport, get there quickly, but whatever. I'd like, I'd like to fly. Who said, who said this? Who said, I'd like to be invisible? Raise your hand. 
These are the sneaky people in the house. Watch them. They like to be invisible. Uh, anybody say, I'd like to read minds? I'd like to read minds. Really? Wow. I don't know if I'd want that or not. I uh, mean, I might read your mind. You're not paying attention to me. It would hurt my feelings. All right. Superpowers. I, I propose the transformation was so radical in the life of the disciples. They went from ordinary men to men with spiritual superpowers. Meaning this, you see, they have ability to do things they could not do before Acts chapter 2. You see, men in the Gospels, they so fumbled their words, they misspoke so often, could not articulate their fear or concern. But after Acts chapter 2, they're powerful speakers. Their oratory is compelling. Man, they have the ability to preach, and thousands are saved. You see, gifting given by the Holy Spirit. See, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, he gives you something called a spiritual gift. Homework, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, are lists of the spiritual gifts given to the church, given to Christians by the Holy Spirit at the moment of your salvation. And you see, so there you go. You want a superpower? There you go. You're going you're to have a superpower. These working to advance the gospel. You see, gifts of administration. In the book of Acts, so the church is growing explosively. And people organizing the whole thing, putting systems in place. Those are great gifts. The church needs that kind of You see gifts of healing and miracles in the Bible. You see gifts of wisdom. Acts chapter 15, there's a crisis in the church. Some people are saying, well, only one race goes to heaven. And James is given discernment and wisdom by God. He says, no, guess, guess what? God's a multiracial God. And the foot is level at the cross. All men are welcome if you come by Jesus. Amen? So they have these gifts working in the church. And they have gifts. And Christian, you might be undiscovered, but you have a gift. But that's not their main superpower. Know what their main superpower is? Eternal life. Think about that one from eternal life. You know, why are they so bold? Why are they so unafraid? Why, when they stand before the Sanhedrin, the same people that murdered Jesus weeks before, are they fearless? Why is that? Because guess what? Jesus beat death. And Jesus said, he beat death and we'll beat death. My, my Jesus, they're thinking, said in John chapter 11, verse 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though dead, yet shall he live. So as they stand before the authorities, the officials that can kill them, like, well, you might be able to kill me, but you can't really kill me. You might be able to take my life, but you can't really take my life. You might take my life here on earth, but my next breath will be in heaven. I'll be more alive than you can ever imagine. You may kill me, but you cannot kill me. My superpower is eternal life. If you know Jesus, that's your superpower. So what the heck are you doing being afraid of anything? Why are you worried about the end of the month when you're going to live for a billion upon a billion years? That's the superpower we have. Puts everything in perspective. Why are you worried about the hater in your life can trouble you for like 15 minutes when you're going to live forever in glory with the king? Man, the reason they're so fearless, they're like, man. So because you have the superpower of eternal life, you can ignore haters. Wow. That's really practical. That's uh, Sign me up. If you kill me, you can't really kill me. I have eternal life. That's my superpower. Number three, heroes have you with me. They're, they're transformed. They have a superpower. Number three, heroes, hero stories, they're people of passion. And Pastor Tom, Superman has passion. I mean, they, 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 they're engaged, man. They're fully committed. They are all in kind of individuals. They're not casual. And uh, I love people with passion. In fact, maybe you're asking what was the uh, kind of creative catalyst for this series. I'll tell you. Something God placed in my heart a year ago. I, I was with Captain America, Pastor Raul. We were in Southern California meeting with a group of consultants, helping us understand how to best utilize this new building. And so we're meeting these smart guys. And we're staying in San Diego. By the way, San Diego, nice town. But we noticed the hotel rates were kind of expensive. And we're having, we're having dinner one day. And all of a sudden, Wonder Woman walks by. Full Wonder Woman gear, right? Then the Flash comes by, right? Then the Wonder Twins walk by. 
And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I find out there's this giant convention of people who love comic books and superheroes called Comic-Con. And it's not a few of them. It's 120,000 people. Some of the greatest eye candy I've ever seen in my life. And a great many of these people still love their heroes. I mean, they, they deck out. They dress up as Iron Man. They, they dress up as Wolverine, man. They, they look like Nick Fury. It's, it was incredible to see these people. And I looked at them. And by the way, if you're like someone thinking, yeah, that, that's kind of silly. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, people dress up. That's kind of crazy. Guess what? Your hobby's silly, too. Right? I mean, all hobbies are kind of silly. Now, I like hobbies. Hobbies are very human. Probably healthy, but all hobbies are, are serious. You might think someone who dresses up like a character is kind of crazy. And guess what? That's their hobby. My hobby is silly. My hobby, I chase big, smart fish with a fly rod. I mean, I take something that's hard and make it harder. Well, I don't even eat the fish. That's silly. To me, you guys want to laugh at me and the comic book people, but you're a golfer. <laughs> you hit an insignificant little white ball with an inadequate stick. If you're really good, you hit it like 70, 75 times. Or probably you hit it more like 105 times. Then you hit it, then you chase it. That's silly. That's, now, some of you people laughing right now at the fishermen and the golfers. You're going to spend three and a half hours on a Saturday on your sofa eating Doritos with Dr. Pepper, watching people driving fast cars, but slathered with advertising all over it. They wear jumpsuits covered with advertising. And all they're going to do for three hours is make left-hand turns. All right, can we just be honest? All hobbies are a little silly. So if you think the goal of this, this series is to knock the nerds, I'm not knocking the nerds. I kind of admire the nerds. I think it's good to get geeked out about something in life. And I think, as I saw these people and their commitment, I thought, wow, look at their passion. I thought the church of Jesus Christ had, had the same passion for our hero they have for their fictional heroes. Yeah, they might have passion for Jesus if pastors actually preached him. And um, David Hughes ain't preaching him right now. We changed the world. Let me be specific for a moment. Uh, let me just show you an example, just one guy. This guy, obviously, his hero, Captain America. I thought, but what, what did he invest in to make this thing? He, he, he's given his time. He's given a week of his life to go to uh, Southern California, be part of this experience, uh, given his time. By the way, the best costumes we saw, people didn't buy. They built I asked several people these elaborate costumes. How long did it take you to make your costume? I had people say months. I had one guy, he was a banker, said, man, I've worked for a year and a half making my costume. Man, they're into it time. Pastor Mark said, you want to grow deep with Jesus, it takes time. Guess when that time in God's word, that time in prayer, that quiet time is vital. Oh, not if it really takes all that, don't you think you ought to help them out by, you know, opening up one of the gospel texts and preaching through it, you know? I mean, if you, you really want them to... Have passion about Jesus. Don't you think they ought to know a few things about him? You know, like maybe preach through all of the Gospels, you know, something like that. So they, they would be just like saturated with Jesus, right? Knowledge. Talk about God's word and knowing stuff. They have incredible knowledge. Many people, you could ask them any trivia question about their hero. They knew their stuff. You know, the people who are hardcore, they do what? They read and reread the comic books. They watch and rewatch the movies. We did some research, you know, research of hardcore Star Wars fans. Any Star Wars lovers in the house? In fact, anybody is easy. When any of you hardcore fans, you, of course, you saw the 1977 episode four. It was really the first one, but episode four. Uh, who saw that? Raise your hand if you see hardcore. All right. Who saw it more than once? Who saw it more than five times? 
Who saw it more than 10 times? We're getting a little nerdy right now. Just say, all right, all right, hands up. All right, we found this website that 8% of these people responded had seen that movie over a 1,000 times. Man, you talk about knowing their stuff. Oh, my. And I thought, what if Christians... What if Christians spent that much time in the Word of God? Yeah, and maybe you should, exa- you know, like set the example here. I mean, if you if you want to compete with somebody who's seen the Star Wars movie a thousand times, you better start preaching through the gospel. Why don't you start at Matthew right now, quick? And may, you might be able to get through a couple of chapters if you just dump this stupid superhero thing here, and you can actually get through a couple of chapters of the Gospel of Matthew so that you can help familiarize people with what Jesus has done, taught, and accomplished. You know, right? What if we knew the Word of God? What if we love the Word of God? What if we devote ourselves, man, their knowledge? Why don't you set the example there, David, by, you know, doing it? It's incredible. How about this? Man, one way you see their passion, financial commitment. Oh, boy. Here comes a tithing pitch. Two airline tickets. $1,000. Meals. $300. Lodging. $750. Tickets to Comic-Con. $200. Wearing the perfect suit necessary to save the universe. $1,500. Connecting with 120,000 people who share your passion. Priceless. There are some things money can't buy. Unless you're a nerd. I mean, there's a financial component to this. And if you think all these people, they're probably poor guys who live in their mama's basement. There's probably some of them. But I, met I wonder if they're bloggers. Some attorneys. I met people with nice jobs. But most people kind of middle income. But isn't it funny? You know, it's expensive to do this. That whether it's comic books or golf or whatever your deal is, you'll always, no matter how much or little money you have, you'll always kind of find that financial margin to fund the things you love. I mean, you always, if you really love something, you'll, you'll scrape together pennies, right? You'll, you'll steal hubcaps to make it happen. You're, you know, you'll, you'll find that. That's why Jesus said that wherever your treasure is, guess what? Your heart's there too. I can always tell where your heart is by where your treasure is. So simply say, if you say that you love Jesus and he's your ultimate hero, but you're not generous, you're probably blowing smoke. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you haven't experienced true life transformation and passion unless you, you're forking over the tithe to support the huge budget necessary to keep places like Church by the Glades afloat. The most expensive model for doing, quote, church known in the history of mankind. The financial commitment right there. And then, and then fourth and finally, I see the passion that uh, they identify. I mean, they identify. They're loud and proud about who their hero is. I mean, they want to look like their hero. They imitate their hero, right? There's nothing. In fact, if we took the video camera, not a single person who was dressed up. We say, hey, can we take your picture? said, no, I'm trying to be discreet. No, they loved it. Man, they would vogue and mug for us and stay in character. I mean, they, they, they were loud and proud. We should be the same way with our hero, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but since you're not preaching him, um, how would they know how to be loud and proud and imitate Jesus? I mean, you kind of sort of kind of mention him. He's like he's got a cameo appearance in this superhero um, sermon thing. I mean, we've learned more about Captain America and Star Wars than we have about Jesus in this sermon. Unashamed. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. I need to put on Jesus every day. Man, thank you for listening, man. These, these three things, transformational, right? A superpower, uh, third and finally, there's, there's passion. And then the last one, and we'll wrap this, is uh, heroes always fight 
for big causes. Mm, yeah. Heroes always fight for big causes. So, yeah, you, you know, you, this will be the part that sets you free from the mundane life of driving a minivan, apparently. I, I don't know. And they have found a cause worth fighting for. In fact, they found a cause worth dying for. See, the idea of that mission, I see a lot of smart people, people with great passion, because God has made you a passionate person, but you're giving that passion to lesser things. No, you're chasing down, and they're not bad things. You're chasing down career advancement. You're trying to maybe get more money. Uh, maybe your thing is you want to make the varsity team. You want to sit at the popular table. I and mean, those are all great things. Important to notice that he's preaching the Christian and not Christ. Yet he said, he said they're Christ-centered, like super Christ-centered, Christ-saturated. No, they're not. I mean, this sermon is anything but Christ-saturated. There's nothing Christ-saturating about this. I mean, seriously, the, the Jesus wouldn't even like make a stain on a you know cocktail napkin at this point. But those things are not worthy of your ultimate God-given passion. Whenever you see a story about a, a superhero, they're always fighting for a big cause, right? Right? You look confused. All right. You'll never see a Hollywood blockbuster with those movies they spend a gazillion dollars on, on on a superhero like Recycle Man. I mean, recycling is great and everything, but it's not like, you know, a recycle man. You want to see like, hey, the gluten league fighting bad dietary carbohydrates. You want, you want to see grammar man, you know, stamping out comma splices. You won't see that. In fact, think about every single hero movie. What are they doing? They're fighting to save the world or at least to save a city. If, if Superman saves Lois Lane, he also saves the city, right? And so they're always laying their life on the line for a big cause. Listen. You need a big cause. You need to give your life to a God-sized mission. God has this big, and I'll tell you one way you'll know it's God's mission for your life. It'll overwhelm you with the enormity of its size. Its scope and scale will blow you out of the water. You're like, God, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not equipped enough. No problem. I'm going to transform you. And new creatures with new natures have new abilities, new powers. And through me, this will happen in your life. That's what a hero looks like. Man, I hope you guys dress up. Next week is on villains. Look like a villain if you want to. I mean, look scary next week if you want to. But, you know, heroes and villains are not seen by their couture. It's by the impact they make on life. So to help you understand the idea of fighting for a big cause, I'm going to tell you the story about two heroes you would not quickly recognize. The first one I met, I met last week. I, I didn't speak last week. Pastor Mark from Alabama came and did a great job last week. Uh, I was back on Sunday. In fact, I was part of the Amen, the Amen Corner. That was fun, Fred. In fact, can I just say it right now? The entire church has now declared the Amen Corner. Church is more fun if we're in, engaged and responsive, and, and it's just more fun to have a dialogue. That was, that was great. But people ask me, David, were you on vacation last week? I'm like, no. No, actually, I was invited to speak at a church I'd heard so much about. I was, I was honored by the invite. I was invited to L.A. to speak at a church called the Dream Center. Uh, the Dream Center, speaking-wise, it was one of the weirdest speaking moments of my life. Mm-hmm. The Dream Center. Did you talk? No, you didn't talk about Jesus, did you? I mean, Hard. As I prepared to get up and take the stage and kind of give the word of God to the, this crowd, and there's a couple thousand people there and very diverse gathering of people. I, 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 the speaker was speechless. Hard for you guys to imagine me speechless. But I had a hard time because I just experienced something in the hours preceding that just I couldn't wrap my brain around. The Dream Center is one of those amazing churches on the planet. So here's the story quickly. I would say the hero of that church is a, a Pastor Matthew, Pastor Matthew Barnett. He's a friend of mine. And back when he was just a punk 20-year-old, so he's the hero of the church, not Jesus. All right, just want to make sure I heard you clearly. 
he got a chance to go to a church, a, a church with historic roots in, in South Central L.A. Now, you know South Central? Gang Bang Central, right? Uh, prostitutes and pimps and drug-addicted people and homeless people everywhere. But this church had, had, had a great history, and so they invited this 20-year-old pastor to come. And he's a sincere, godly God. And he said his prayer was when he came, he prayed, he prayed, okay, God, I want to be a successful pastor. And God, my prayer is I, I could build for you a great church. God, I want to build for you a great church. And that church only had 40 people. What he did know was they were older. Everyone in the congregation, all 40, 80 and up. What he didn't know was they were all Filipino. Only spoke Filipino. He didn't know what Filipino was. So he continued to pray that prayer because God can do all things, right? God can do all things. So Matthew's praying, God, I want to be a successful pastor. And God, I want to build you a great church. And he said that church began to grow. That church grew from 40 to zero. And Matthew said, I don't mean five, I don't mean three, because I mean zero. We started having services on Sunday, and nobody came. And because I was so right hard, I was praying that prayer, you know, God, I want to be successful, I want to be a successful pastor, God, I want to build you a great, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a single guy, I'm the only white guy in the neighborhood, I'm, I'm there crying at night, you know, God, why are you not hearing my prayers? God, why are you not responding? And one night, God woke him up and said, take a walk, go to Echo Park. And many, many years ago, Echo Park was a beautiful part of L.A., it was, you know, grassy knolls and a beautiful pond with swans. But now, man, it's the center of all kinds of crime and violence and drug dealing. And so he's walking there. It's dangerous to go there in the daytime. But for a white kid at night, he has his hoodie. He's walking there. He says, God, why do you want me to walk here? And he says it was so bad. He saw the cop cars. He saw a pimp beating a prostitute. He saw the homeless people arguing. He saw all this, this stuff. And he said, God, why'd you bring me here, God? And God spoke to his spirit. And said, so I brought you here, Matthew, because this is your church. This is your church. This is your congregation. They don't know it yet. But I've sent you to reach these people. By the way, Matthew, stop praying to be successful. What the heck is a successful pastor? Success is being faithful to the mission I've given you, period. And by the way, stop telling me you're going to build me a church. I'm God. Don't build me a church. You build people, and I'll build the church. And, uh... Mm, yeah, boy, it's interesting. We get the, apparently his story in context and the direct revelation that he supposedly received from God directly, leaky canon style. Um, we get that all in context, but not the biblical word of God. Weird. So he, he starts with zero. He starts loving the people there. Isn't it weird that he, I mean, he's telling an entire story about some pastor at the Dream Center in Los Angeles. I mean, but he said that they were Christ-centered, like Christ-saturated. In the sermon, I mean, don't you think he should have plugged in a Jesus story here? The gang kids and the homeless people and the addicted people. He starts building programs to help meet their needs, their physical needs, their hunger needs, their addiction needs. He starts building this and cut to the chase. When I was there touring up last Thursday, I took my breath away. They now have 700,000 square feet of buildings. Help you gauge that. We're 100 square feet on this campus. Seven times larger than this. Uh, they have a magnificent worship center that holds 3,500 people. But the best part is they have a hospital. Someone gave them a flippant hospital, 15 floors, because they were being so effective, meeting the needs of the marginalized, the poor and the powerless of Los Angeles. And so one floor we toured with a bunch, bunch of guys, men, men, all these, these men from the street battling addiction in a one-year voluntary rehab program. Another floor, women with the same needs of addiction going through this. No gates. Man, of their own free will, we saw one for teenagers. Now the city of Los Angeles courts will uh, send people to the Dream Center. We found a floor um, for homeless families, single moms, one single dad with eight kids. 
There's a floor dedicated to rescuing the victims of human trafficking. I mean, it took my breath away. And Raul, we turn a corner and Matthew just sees a random person. Hey, 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 ma'am, can you just tell these guys your story? And so like a single mom would say, well, yeah, I was on the street with my kids. I was homeless and I was battling drugs. And someone brought me here and God's changed my life forever. And my kids now get three square meals a day. And by the way, 800 people don't attend the Dream Center. They live at the Dream Center until they find their feet again. And it just, it just took my breath away. And I, if I ran into that dad, the, that single dad off the streets with eight children he's caring for, and I would ask one of those kids, hey, hey, who's your hero? Maybe a little boy might say, uh, Iron Man, Superman. But my guess is someone would say, Pastor Matthew is my hero. Because my family has a roof over its head. We're not on the streets. We have food to eat. My dad's not on drugs. That is being a hero. It's finding that God-sized mission and giving yourself to it. Are you with me? Is it making sense? Is it, I mean... So Jesus isn't their hero, Pastor Matthew. Is. Got it. I just you reiterated the point. You're making my points. Thank you. It's this. It's this. It's, um, I can't make sure I get the number right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's eight members of Church by the Glades who skipped church this weekend. Now, I think you should be here, by the way. It's not legalism, but you should be here. Next week, don't miss. Bring people in. It's going to be great things happening in the house. You need this. You need this. But eight of our best people did not come to church this weekend, but it's okay. They were in Haiti. I'm going to tell you a really good God story in the next two... Yeah, you won't tell us a Jesus story from the Gospels, but you'll tell us a God story from, you know, like your team in Haiti or pastor or whatever in the Dream Center. I thought you said you were Christ-centered. Minutes, run a whole bunch of numbers and places. Yeah, got to press in. Be smart. Look at your neighbor. Do they look intelligent? We're done after this. Look at your neighbor. Do they look intelligent? All right, all right, listen, a lot of numbers, a lot of places, because, listen, only God could put this deal together. So you guys, if you're part of the church, you know we have an orphan. Hugh Sappy Music. In Haiti, we fully financially fund an orphanage of 50 young girls in Bon Repose, Haiti. It's one of the coolest things we do as a church family. So back when Isaac rolled through the Caribbean two weeks ago, it hit Haiti before the weekend. Now, I, I want you guys to follow me on Twitter. I'm not trying to bolster my Twitter numbers. It's just the quickest, easiest way to get a message to the church. I mean, like this, I can communicate with thousands of you guys if you follow me on Twitter. So follow me on Twitter, uh, Pastor D. Hughes, right? All right follow me, because people were asking me, are our kids okay in Haiti? Man, the storm hit Haiti, are our kids okay? Well, I got the word, I think, on a Saturday that our kids and our orphanage, by God's grace, are fine. The buildings were fine. There's no loss of life. I was so relieved to hear that. But the guy who's our contact with Haiti is a guy in Dallas, and I asked Dallas guy, well, man, I love our kids are okay, but how about the other orphanages? Because together there's about 20 churches, each one sponsoring an orphanage. And he said, well, there's an orphanage sponsored by two very small churches. And man, their buildings got wiped out. No kids were killed, but the buildings got destroyed. And those kids are in the weather right now. And so I went to God and I thought, well, God, thank you so much. Our kids are fine. But those other kids need somebody. And there are 20 churches, but we're probably the closest church to Haiti because we're in South Florida. Here's what God put together. Start praying, God, what can we do? What can we do? And, and Dallas guy said, called New York lady. New York lady, not even a Christian person. They even believe in God. And, but she's coordinating with a guy in Haiti to help supervise these orphanages. So I called Dallas guy, then New York lady, and said, I want to help. I know what we can do. I want to help these kids get shelter. And she says, well, anything you can come up with. And I think, well, once upon a time, about two years ago, we had a guy from Iowa. Still with me? Young guy, sharp in his mid-twenties, and he lives in Iowa. His family lives in Iowa. They have a family business in Iowa, but he spent some time, needed a little break from the family, some time in Boca Raton. 
And his roommate, another young guy in his 20s, was coming to church by the glades. About a 35-minute drive, and he invited him to church by the glades. And God, through the ministry of this church, got a hold of my Iowa buddy Nick in a big way. And Nick committed his life to Christ. Iowa guy Nick got baptized. Iowa guy's family was in visiting him. They came to church by the glades. Iowa guy's dad got baptized. And so we have a family that now watches us online in Iowa faithfully. And I'm thinking about my friend for some reason. God brings his friend. Boy, I mean, he sure does like to talk about him. I thought you said you were Christ. Why aren't you preaching Christ? To mine, Nick from Iowa to mine. He's now back in Iowa because I remember his family is in the business of metal fabricating. They make Iowa stuff like grain bins and silos, farming stuff, right? And I remember he told me once upon a time they were kind of experimenting with like some temporary slash permanent housing for victims of natural disasters. So I hopped on the phone, called Nick, said, Nick, we got this orphanage. It's not our orphanage. It's an orphanage in Haiti. And I know you're in Iowa, but the guy in Dallas and the lady in New York told me to find some help. And any chance you can help us in Haiti? Only God can do this. He says, guess what? He says, we have the materials for seven shelters in Port-au-Prince right now. Not done. And he says, I know a guy in Haiti. And our guy in Haiti knew his guy in Haiti. So I called the guy in Dallas. I called the guy in Haiti. And they get together, and this guy in Haiti that Nick knows is juiced, and he, like, walks into the prime minister's office. Because, you know, in Haiti, oh, there's all kinds of red tape and bureaucracy, and you can have stuff there that might not get there for months. And somehow, they, they fast-track this whole thing, because Iowa guy gets involved. Iowa guy hops on a plane. He arrived here at this airport 10 o'clock yesterday, and seven of our best people at Church by the Glades who follow us on Facebook, seven guys with good hands, all hopped on a plane yesterday, and they missed church today because they are right now in Haiti erecting shelters for kids. 29 girls and 19 boys who've been in the weather for two weeks. And while I'm running some numbers for you, and that was only possible because three months ago, we challenged our church for three weeks to pray and get brave and ask you guys to give an offering. If you're a guest, we're not all about offerings. In fact, we didn't even pass a plate tonight, right? And ask you guys to sacrifice because, man, the, the, the expenditures of a ministry this big, wow, our margins are nothing. It's just week to week here paying the mortgage and keeping ministry happening here in South Florida. And I, I thought, you know, but if we don't give a little more, not a little more generous, we're not heroic. If ever a ministry need pops up, we won't have the financial muscle to make it happen, but because you guys gave, and Iowa guy gave, and Dallas guy was connected with Haiti guy, and some of our guys at a drop of a hat said, guess what, we'll go make this happen. They are building those shelters as we speak right now. And I will have video and photos when you come back next week. But how good is God? I mean, a dude in Iowa and his remarkable family yeah, you know, the gospel stories are way better, like way better than this one. Making this, And they have God, the Holy Spirit, as the the divine author behind them. They're, you see, the gospel stories are God-breathed. Your story about whatever happened here, that's not God-breathed. So it doesn't have the power to sanctify, justify, or anything, just to inspire. But see, God's Word does more than inspire. It convicts. And it saves. No power in your story. Power in the gospel stories. Why aren't you preaching Jesus? You said you were Christ-centered. Happened. And I don't know... I don't know the entertainment habits of Haitian orphans. I don't know if I was to ask one of those 19 boys or 29 girls, Hey, who's your hero? I don't know if they would say Iron Man, Spider-Man, my hero's Batman. But I guess they would say, my hero's... One of these eight guys putting up a shelter because tonight I won't sleep in the rain.
You see what it means to have a mission worth wrapping your passion around? I mean, what do you got? If you don't choose his mission for your life, what do you got? Well, I'm trying to get the corner office. I want that special parking space. I want to sit at the cool kids' table. Seriously? That's it? God has made you for so much more. Don't misplace the passion he's given you. Here's the secret of a life that is meaningful, a life that's heroic. If you connect with the ultimate hero, Jesus, and commit with passion to his mission, the hero within you will begin to emerge. Amen? Amen. So church, as you leave today, don't play it safe. Be different and be daring. If you're here today without Christ, I'm going to pray. At the end of this prayer, nice people will line the stage. And it's my prayer, you would have the courage. You would be daring and heroic. And you would come to the front and say, hey, I want to know what it means to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You better ask somebody you know, what that means, like you know, one of the ushers or something, because he certainly is going to preach it from the stage. It's the most brilliant move you'll ever make. Church, the rest of you guys, grab all the invite cards we have. Invite people. Pray that God will give you those, those special appointments and bring them to the house next week as we talk about the blessing of a bad guy. Oh, boy. So that's the end of the sermon. Um, hero worship, tapping into your superpower. Didn't preach Christ, did he? Nope. Sure didn't. Um, I don't know what it was. Uh, maybe a waste of time. There was no power in it. None. He didn't exegete the word of God. He claimed that he's Christ-centered, yet he didn't preach Christ. So, I mean, I don't understand what's the point of saying you're radically Christ-centered when... If that were the case, you would open up the Bible and preach Christ. You know, make sure that people really knew God's word. But was he doing? No, he had something more important to do. And that was, you know, to give a relevant life, transformational life, tippish, um, inspiring uh, lecture-ish type of thing. Baptized with some Bible verses to make it look like a sermon. But it wasn't. It wasn't. He didn't preach the word. So what'd you think? By the way, my superpower? Discernment. <laughs> joking if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith you can do so my email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian click on the subscribe button or you can follow me on Twitter my name there at pirate Christian till tomorrow may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins Amen Amen